This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. My guest today, special treat for you guys. He's a, he's a big-time mobile home park owner-operator. He's also just launched an Opportunity Zone Fund, which is focusing on mobile home parks in Opportunity Zones. He's raised capital. He's got a good team. Please welcome Sam Hales of the Saratoga Group. Sam, how are you? Heard, man, that introduction, I just feel super important, super special. Uh, <laughs> hey, good to be with you. You're the, only guy, you're the only guy I know that is doing both MA, a combination of MH, raising the fund, and in the OZ. So definitely want to hear about that today, but also just want to get to know you better. We know each other a little bit already, obviously, but yeah. want to get to know you a little bit more for our audience, your background. Your, I'm going to ask you all kinds of stuff on the market and everything, but... Uh, Tell us a little bit more how you, how you got to where you're at now. Awesome. So I launched Saratoga Group back in 2011. And uh, originally we were buying single family homes, mostly in Northern California, uh, kind of a buy to rent model, like a lot of people were doing back then. We actually raised money from China for that, for that fund, which was, which was interesting in many, many ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, so did that for, for quite a few years and you, what happens with single family, it's like you kind of, you start getting enough of them and you've either really got to go big to scale it and you got to build all the systems or you figure out, which is what we did, man, that's a lot of work. I think I want to do something else. Right. <laughs> and so I, I, you know, the Waypoint and, and Blackstone with Treehouse and I mean, I, I can appreciate what those guys have built um, because I, I know, uh, just how difficult it would kind of get those systems together and, and, and scale that. Um, so, so, so we did that for a number of years and, uh, and then we're just kind of looking for the, for the next thing. I mean, the other thing that happened is home prices went up so much uh, that it was just kind of that buy to rent and kind of that dividend or cash flow yield, the numbers just weren't making sense anymore. Um, at least in the target markets we had. So, so we kind of bounced around for a couple of years, did some development, did some land entitlement, uh, just very opportunistic office, bought an office building, bought some other kind of commercial, just dabbled in a few things, um, but really trying to find the next business that we could really focus on. And, uh, and then finally, like end of 2016, early 2017, started finding out about mobile home parks and, and it just, man, the lights started go. I mean, I, I listened to probably 150 podcasts. So I, wow. what we're doing right now, I really appreciate it because I was the guy who on the weekend when I was, you know, doing a home project or whatever, man, I was just streaming nonstop and I just couldn't get enough of it. Right. Um, and I, and I appreciate, you know, the content that was put out there. So anyway, they, and so that, that kind of the, the light bulb went on for me and, uh, and we started getting into mobile home parks. We now, we, so we started buying in 2017 and we now have 44 communities um, and we're in 10 different states and, uh, and we've got more in the pipeline, so. 
That's great, man. That's, that's kind of the journey. Definitely fast growth. And I'm, I'm with you, man, where it's the single family stuff. I was doing that, not that not to your scale, I'm sure, but I was doing single family and I'm like, this is going to be a hustle that you got to keep us. And like, it's like, I'm like, it's gonna be hard to own a hundred houses by myself. I could own two 50 unit apartment complexes. It seemed like, but, but those were, those were priced differently. So the margins were higher on single family, but I'm like, you start getting a big number. You know, I'm like, man, do you ever want, do I want to own a hundred or a thousand? I'm like, that's a lot of toilets. Maybe, maybe I should look in something else. And, and yeah. like you kind of drank the Kool-Aid on the MH and uh, it's been great. And so you guys are doing great things. So tell, tell me how you, how your, did your fund change when you were at Saratoga doing single family to now you're doing MH as far as your, your capital raise with 44 communities? I assume that's not all your personal savings account, right? You've got a lot of other financial partners on your team. I'm interested to hear Absolutely. how you got that structured. Yeah, so we, we've kind of done two, two approaches and for, we, we've done maybe the more traditional where we find the assets and then we go raise capital specifically for those assets. Um, you know, in, in many ways, I like that better because there's definition around, hey, right. here's, what you're, here's what you're investing in. Um, and, and I think investors generally like that better as well. Right. Uh, we, but once we started getting into opportunity zones, um, there was another kind of nuance there for the investor where they have a timeline. Right. So they they've got 180 days after the capital gains event to get the money invested in an OZ fund. So there are all these timelines that we were balancing. It's like there's no way to do this without a fund because because once the money comes into the fund, they've met their timeline. Then the fund has its own timelines. But then we can we can kind of space it out with the acquisitions that we're working on and, and the budgets for the improvements and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, so that's when we started uh, launching funds at Saratoga Group. Um, and, and we're on our third opportunity zone fund now. Wow, that's great. So on the, on the funds, when the, when the investor puts their money in, let's say, let's say I put in a million dollars today, do you always have a project in the pipeline where you've got a place to put that? Or do you have a week, a month, six months where I've got essentially cash drag where my money's just sitting there, you know, making zero. Maybe you've made commitments to pay me some sort of preferred return, but for you guys, you're, you're in the hole then. How, how do you balance that? Because I feel like that's one of the challenges a lot of people face versus you find the asset, you do a private placement memorandum, you raise capital for that one asset, you close it, and you've got a budget with a performa and assumptions. And like, look, you're going to buy this many pads, this, there's the occupancy, boom, boom, boom. And it's, it's, as you said, definite or finite. How, how do you balance that on the, on the kind of blanket fund, if you will? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. It's, it's absolutely a balance. Um, on our last OZ fund, we raised 16 million. And, you know, there, there's two problems for the sponsor. One of them is you get the money too early. You know, it's like, like you said, there's a cash drag there. We do, we pay a prep once the money hits our account. And then the other problem is you get the money too late. Well, that's kind of a worse problem, right? right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because yeah. you're like, oh crap. <laughs> yeah. so, so we're okay with uh, bringing money in a little bit early. Um, we want to have confidence that we have the projects in the pipeline, right? So, so we're not going to take, so for example, this new fund is a target $30 million raise. And, but we're not going to take all the money before the end of the year. What's happening because of a number of factors, a lot of interest in kind of placing money before uh, January 1st. And, but we can't, we don't have enough in the pipeline yet to, to take more than 
about 18 million is, is kind of what we're targeting before, before December 31st. And so other folks, you know, we're probably gonna have to push out, uh, I mean, and hopefully, right? Hopefully we, we get the, we get the 18 million before the end of the year. But point, point being, uh, you know, for us, it's kind of a range. I mean, we could, we could take as little as probably seven just to cover the properties we're buying before the end of the year in the new fund and then as much as 18 and we so we have some wiggle room there um but it's uh but it is a balance yeah because you don't want to take it too early um and and you don't want to take it too late got it now on on the something was let's use 18 million for an example then i'm sure you guys are only bringing in accredited investors and i know different people have different opinions on would you rather as i'm asking you would you rather have 18 one million dollar investors or two nine million dollar investors or maybe 36 five hundred thousand dollar investors obviously the more people the more people calling they want to talk to you you're the boss the more people calling you and your cell phone but at the same time the big guy with nine million may you know have the keys to your house you know if, if he's like I'm, I'm you need me you know so would you have a preference on that or how, how have you guys tackled that yeah that's that's a it's a really good question so I'll give you an example. Our last, uh, our last fund, our last opportunity, opportunity zone fund raised 16 million. We have 170 investors. Oh, wow. Okay. Now that scares the bejeebies out of my CFO, Becky, right? I bet. Your K1s <laughs> are a mess. K-1s. Your CPA bills. Yeah. But, but at the same time, and Ferd, you know this about us, you know, we, we embrace technology, right? So, so five years ago, we uh, white labeled uh, the CrowdStreet platform right. for our business. So we use that to automate all the reporting, uh, distributions, everything through, through CrowdStreet. And it doesn't feel like 170 investors. I mean, you know, we, we have, people still want some personal touch. And so for example, later today, we're doing our uh, quarterly investor call for that fund. And, and, you know, there'll probably be 30, 40 people to chime in there. Um, and then we record it and, and distribute it to everybody. Um, but, but anyway, as far as your question, uh, I don't know that I have a strong preference, but you're right. If it's, if somebody's coming in and they're, they represent a large portion of that fund or even all of that fund, mm-hmm. then they're going to, it's less about you saying, Hey, here's the terms. It's more them saying, hey, here's the terms, right? Right. <laughs> so um, so we, we've had those opportunities a number of times for people that are like, you know, wanted to put money with us, but also wanted to dictate the terms. And uh, we've, we've generally chosen not to do that. Um, yeah. Makes, but, makes sense. And I know you mentioned earlier here that, you know, that, your your love for podcasts and the, the resources. I, I know when I started looking at real estate 12, 13 years ago, I felt like the resources out there were limited, not just podcasts. But like I was trying to learn. I had my finance degree, my MBA, but they didn't teach us the discounted cash flow analysis in graduate school. Like I had to go learn it on my own and learn really not just IRR on Excel, but literally learn the machinations of all these financial metrics. So I I, I appreciate the data, out, out, the data out there as well. And guys like you kind of opened up the tent so my next question, you're not prepared for this, so you can tell me no, but are you going to open up the 10 even more and say, here's how, here's how our model works. You know, we do an eight per F and a 30, 70 promote not, or is it, it depends on the deal or is, is that, I know like you've got your technology system that's kind of proprietary. Do you, is that kind of your special sauce and you don't want to share that 
with a larger audience or is it is it pretty much this is industry standard quasi plain chain we're just better operators or better capital raisers and, and it's not special sauce as much as operational sauce you know i'm 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 happy to share that bert i i uh i really don't i appreciate when other people share with me and so i i just i feel uh yeah, I guess they call it the abundance mentality, but we, we've had a lot of people that have shared with us and, and we're always happy to share. Um, so, so yeah, our, our opportunity zone fund is set up with a seven prep and then, and then it's a 70, 30 split up to a second prep and then it goes 50, 50. Um, and I know if somebody has only invested in, let's say multifamily real estate syndications, they're going to hear that and be like, man, that's expensive. Um, if they've invested in other MH syndications, they'll probably say, hey, that sounds like a good deal. Right. Um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I think a lot, most astute investors understand this. It's way less about the split you're getting and it's way more about who you're investing with. Um, you know, the deal's important for sure. Uh, as you know, for, I mean, our business is, especially what we're buying, it's all, you know, roll up the sleeves, jump in and like fix it. And, and so the operation is so critical and, and, you know, we, we could, we could miss slightly on the, on the asset, I think, but if we, if we operate it well, we'll make up for it. Um, so it's, I tell, it's like I tell people that MH is more like running a business than, than managing real estate. Right. Um, I, I agree. And I, I even argued that on my tax returns with the CPA. I said, look, I'm buying goodwill. I'm buying going concern. Now I'm buying, I'm buying physical land. I'm buying land improvements. Sometimes I'm buying mobile homes or other personal property, but I'm also buying some goodwill. I said, I've got a park. I'm like, I'm following a tax appeal right now, but it's 20 acres, like 20 acres of dirt in this town. The 10,000 acres were 200,000 bucks. I paid a million four. So either I overpaid, and I'm the dumbest guy around, or I think I bought more than dirt. In fact, this isn't even virgin dirt. This has got utility, uh, utilities and concrete and stuff in the way that's not reusable. So I'm buying the business from a, from a tax perspective, but really it's because it's not mailbox money. I used to do triple net uh, retail stuff. You get yeah. a Walgreens, you know, it's checks in the mail, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, this is different. And I think that's where a lot of investors come in. And it's frustrating to me a little bit because I'm trying to, to buy in the space and I see guys that think it's like Walgreens. I say, man, Walgreens is a four cap. This is a six. I'm gonna buy this. And I'm like, you shouldn't pay six. That's like eight and a half. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. They'll find it out later. It's too late. Yeah. But it would cost yeah. me a good opportunity on the buy side. But um, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe they'll hire me as a lawyer to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Play 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 at both ends of that. That's good for Hey, Brian, trying to help, man. Uh, Got to feed the feed the kids, right? Uh, Absolutely. Let me let me ask you. You obviously understand opportunity zones quite a bit. I've I've not done a lot of OZ. I had an, a I had eighteen acres in OZ. We were doing apartments on a few years back, but I never I ended up getting out of that partnership, so I didn't really go through the full OZ fund myself. Yeah. I know that I know that I have a pretty good feel for the general tax benefits relative to non OZ. Can you give our listeners the kind of Reader's Digest version of what those benefits are and how they can impact your, your after-tax yield? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, 
obviously I'm not, I'm not a tax professional, right? But I've spent a lot of time around it at this point, so I can definitely share uh, what I understand. So, so there's kind of three benefits. Uh, the initial one is that you get to defer your capital gains tax. So uh, when it first rolled out, uh, well, actually the, the end timeline hasn't changed. It's through the end of 2026 uh, that you uh, get to not pay those capital gains taxes, right? So, you know, let, let's say you sold a million dollars of Amazon stock, um, or maybe you sold it for, for 3 million, it, your cost basis was two. Anyway, you got a million dollars of capital gains. One thing that's important to understand, you don't have to invest, you know, like a 1031 exchange. That's what we're all used to in the real estate world. You got to invest everything, right? You can't really take anything off the table. In this case, you only have to invest the capital gains. So that example, the 3 million and a million was profit. You just have to invest the profit. The 2 million you can take off the table and do whatever you want. Uh, so so that's, a, that's the first thing is that you, you get to defer paying those capital gains. So it's like a uh, you know, interest-free loan from the government, so to speak. Um, the second thing, it, it's kind of a slight uh, advantage is you get to step up your basis. At this point, through the end of, and see, here's where I'm, I'm, I may or may not be right on this. I actually think the next step, which is a 10% step up, is good through the end of 2021. I'd have to verify that. Um, and then after that, it just goes to 5%. Uh, but, but anyway, so you get to shield a little bit of that, right? You, you, get, you get the interest-free loan. That's the first advantage. Then you get a little bit of shielding. The third one, which is really the main advantage, is that whatever profit is inside of that opportunity zone fund, when that fund liquidates, that's tax-free, right? So if, if they invest that million dollars and it turns into two, all two end. is free. All two is free. Right? Exactly. Every that's all. And is it, you, have to leave it in, you have to leave it in for was it seven years or seven year and a ten year kind of burn off of that? Yeah. So so you have to keep it in for ten years to get the full um, full protection there. The seven years had to do with the, the step up. Yeah. The ten uh, years for uh, for for that uh, tax free event and and actually we which is which is amazing right that right. but of course again i don't i don't you understand this and, and i'm sure most investors do but uh it's always got to be about the, the the fund or the deal or the projects or the operator first right i mean all this is great but if you invest in something a poor investment obviously you, you're locked up for 10 years and you come out the back end you lost money it's like well okay right same, same, same write-off you'd get if you'd lost money somewhere else. So that doesn't help you. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's really the main the main advantage is I, I think is that is that third one. And we and we kind of look at that and say, well, so do you have to sell it at ten years? And the answer is no. You actually you actually could continue it and continue to grow that tax-free. And so our goal is to do well enough for our investors that we get to the end of the ten years, and we don't want to sell these, you know, for once you, once you get these and, and get them up to operating well and running efficiently, they're hard to go out and replace. Right. I mean, if you sell it, like, what are you going to buy? Exactly. Um, and so, so we, we feel like if we can, if we can do a good job and return the investors capital to them through, through the uh, kind of the first 10 years of the fund. And then after that, they continue to get distributions 
we don't think we don't want to sell and we don't think our investors want to sell either because it continues to grow tax-free no that's that's great that's that's definitely a niche you're combining a couple different asset class niches that's great what kind of financing do you guys get on the front end are you looking at agency loans just like if you're not in a fund or is, is the, does the fund complicate that that you're you, you're not a, maybe you are a guarantor but generally is you know, big, you're not one person like if i go get a deal myself i'm a guarantor it's pretty clear I'm the decision maker, but you've got, you're the CEO, you're a decision maker, but you've got a whole flank of people around you. How does that, how does that complicate it? If I could get some of, some of these guys here in the office to sign on those loans, I would love to do that. They, uh, nobody seems to be willing to do that though. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, Maybe I'm not paying them enough. I don't know. Yeah. yeah no, I, at the end of the day, the bank, right. Cause what we're buying, we're buying value add, right? We're buying the same stuff. I know that you, you buy in your business because yeah. there's the opportunity to improve it and right. increase revenue. And so it's, yeah, they're looking for a guarantor. And, uh, and even though we have this fund structure, each of the, you know, I don't want to dive into this too much, but each of the assets we buy has their own single purpose SPE LLC. Um, and then, and then, yeah, if, if it's recourse debt, which it almost always is, then I I, I get to... Uh, you're, signing, you're signing the note then, yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't know if when you're getting the portfolio, I know normally if it's, if it's you know, quote, destabilized under 80% occupancy, for example, it's, you're pretty much in recourse debt land. And, if, and yeah. if, that's why it's like, you, you know, you got to have a big signature to get 5, 10, 15 parks at a time, or you got to have a really good banking relationship or, or some combination, so... Um, so you're probably buying these with local regional banks and then ideally towards the end of the fund original term, you'll refinance with agency loans and take the chips off the table and just ride them into the sunset. Is that kind of the business plan? Yeah. And, and just like, you know, when, when we buy a single asset or, or, or whatever, we don't want to wait 10 years to do it. We sure. want to, yeah. We as soon as you can. Three, yeah, three, exactly. Three, as soon as you can. Yeah, absolutely. As as I was just can. thinking the 10 years you're going to, you're going to hold them for a long time beyond the 10 years of your OZ fund, but you won't be on the same note. Yeah. Obviously yeah. you're going to want to get those refinanced like anybody, right? As soon as you can, so you spit the hook on that note, get the return investor capital, everybody wins. You know, and then agency yeah. being so lucrative, at least today, relative to local banks, it's everything seems to be going well in the industry. I feel like with the, the COVID era is making the industry better. And what are your, what are your thoughts on macro level where we're at as an industry and where we're going? Yeah, I know it, it's uh, it's a good question. I don't know that uh, I, I know any any more than anybody else, but you know, just based on what I'm seeing, it, yeah, it's amazing how much interest in the space. I mean, we we get calls, and I'm, I'm sure you you've experienced this as well. But but just every week, you know, people wanting to reaching out, wanting to buy what we have already, wow. and and uh, and definitely pretty competitive when we're when we're out, uh, you know, trying to buy deals. It, it kind of reminds me of we, this portfolio we closed last week, it was about 900 pads. And an, and there's actually another 200 of them that close. Um, I think I was telling you next week, the, the one in Iowa, we put those in escrow a year ago. Wow. And, and there's just been, uh, I'm not going to get into all the disruptions, but, but it, you know, COVID was certainly part of it. And the question that would come up with our investors kind of right after COVID hit is like, hey, are we going to get some, some post-COVID pricing on this portfolio, right? 
because I mean, it's like you look around, like real estate, right? right? I mean, right. you're the nope. You're going the other way. I know, I know, and that, and that's the thing. And they're like, now we look like geniuses, like putting this thing in escrow before COVID, right. because I don't, I don't know if you saw that that one report indicating that across the board, MH values had gone up like twenty three percent through COVID. Um, I don't doubt it. I mean, yeah. so. I, I don't know what's going on exactly. Um, it's, you know, I mean, I think it's generally getting pretty expensive, certainly for, for stabilized properties. Um, but, but that's, that's, and that's where to me, I mean, we, we jumped into, we felt like when we jumped in in 2017, the only thing that made sense was value add. And I think that's more true now than ever, sure. right? For a couple of reasons. One of them is, well, hey, if you fix that value add, like your exit looks even better than it did. And the other thing, even, even though cap rates have compressed across uh, the spectrum of, of MH, if you think about it, if you're buying generally something that's half occupied, you're, you know, your cap is on your income on the, on, this, on the 50%. So what about those other 50% that aren't occupied? Well, you're, you're not paying a premium on those. Right. So, so we feel like, yeah, the prices have gone up a little bit on the value add. And there has been cap rate compression, but but the exit looks much better than it did before. Number one, and wh whether that's you know selling to to a bigger player or you know our preferred exit, which is going to Fannie and Freddie, and uh, so so that looks even better. And 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 then you're like you said, you're not you're not paying any premium on on those unoccupied lots. So that, that's how we're, that's how we look at it. Sounds that sounds like good stuff, man. I agree. I agree. Don't I don't have any. Any better wisdom than that? What other, before we part, what other tips or taxes do you have for people trying to, you're, you've obviously been in the space for, for a few, like really only a few years, three or four, but you've done 10, 15, 20 years of work in three years. What about the guys, <laughs> what about the guys getting in for their first or second park? Um, how do you, or, or even, or maybe somebody medium sized trying to go to the fund, fund level like you are. Do you have any uh, tips or tactics other than what we've already covered? Um, yeah, you know, I, I think one thing we found that our investors appreciate, and I think um, has helped us to grow our, our network of investors, is communication. Uh, so, for example, when COVID hit, there was a lot of concern. I mean, we, we were concerned, right? As operators, are like, man, you know, I hope I hope our folks can pay their rent. Um, investors being even that much more removed, they were concerned because, you know, a lot of times if they've invested with us in MH, they've probably done a retail deal. They've done, you know, some other things out there and, right. and they're like, man, we got to, you know, all everything's suspended with our retail investment or, you know, or whatever. I mean, there's just concern. And so we made a decision. We're like, you know what? I think our investors want to hear from us a lot. Like they want to hear from us frequently. So we were doing the quarterly reports and we doing these investor calls and, and different things, but, but we made a decision. We're going to send out an email every week and we're going to track our delinquencies and we're going to just kind of real time. Hey, you know, closed it yesterday. Here's what it looks like. Here, here's what it looks like month over month through, through the whole year. And so they can just kind of get that real time, basically feedback and data to know how our collections are doing. Um, so I, I think that's one thing that the the response that I've received is that a lot of people feel like they don't get that much communication from from the sponsor and uh, 
and especially if it's not good news, right? right that they're not they're not going to hear about it. Um, you know, I'd like to say our collections have been amazing, and they've been we've done well, but you know, it's not it's not all smooth, and and it's taken a lot of work, and it's taken a lot of extra effort that we didn't have to put in before. Um, but uh, but I think just kind of sharing that information. Uh, pe people seem to appreciate that. And then, you know, that turns it, I mean, here I am, I'm, I, we get a lot of referrals and I'm like, wow, that's, that's awesome. Especially when I realized that the person that invested with us hasn't received a penny from us yet, right? In, in many cases, all they know is, hey, it was a good experience onboarding. We're getting good communication and it looks like we're headed in the right direction. Right? And they're recommending us. Uh, they, yeah, and not all. I mean, some, some investors certainly have had longer and, they, and, it, and it's a different experience, but, but we've gained, uh, we actually had a review yesterday with CrowdStreet. We've gained something like almost 400, and, uh, not investors, uh, 400 people in our database in the last 12 months. Wow. Um, and we probably gained I'm trying to remember that number, but it's over a hundred new investors in the last 12 months as well. That's so yeah, that, that'd be the communication. Great. So I don't, I've never heard of anybody doing weekly. That's great. We do monthly and I thought that was good. I see, I'm an investor in another fund and I get a K one most of the time on time. And that is it. And I'm like, you guys are about, breaking all kinds of rules in the operating agreement. If I, if I had more time, I'd be more argumentative, but I'm just like, oh, it's, it's like, it feels like it's a sunk cost with these guys. It's like, yeah, that's yeah, great yeah. that you're going, and investors hate that. And then a couple of investors were trying to round up a fight to sue these guys or take over. I'm so I don't have, I don't have, I want to, I like my hair. I don't want to lose it, you know, doing that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, Understood. Understood. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, this is great. Any anything else you want to share? And I want to get your if you want to share your contact information or increment your fund. Tell us where we can find you. Yeah, awesome. For hey, by the way, really appreciate you having me on and uh, enjoyed our discussion. So uh, you can I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I, I love LinkedIn, uh, and and so you can find find me there. Sam Hales at Saratoga Group on LinkedIn. Our website is saratogagroup.com, and. Uh, you can all you'll find on there our offerings right now we're, we just have our opportunity zone fund uh, and you can also go directly to that invest.saratogagroup.com that's how to reach us all right sounds good appreciate it sam thank you okay bird hey thanks so much Got it. Bye now. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.